The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Why writing in all caps doesn't help. It's Thursday, March 21st, 2018. Thank you very much for your time and for supporting this independent news through the links from my sponsors, including Hello Pillow and the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. When the Austin, Texas bombing suspect blew himself up during a police chase early yesterday morning, the president awoke to the news and tweeted jubilantly, Austin bombing suspect is dead, he wrote in all capital letters. Trump frequently writes in all caps. He uses them a lot for emphasis. He knows that all caps writing is for emphasis. And yet he ignored the all caps warning from his own national security advisors who had written in all caps, do not congratulate, on the notes they'd given him for a call to Vladimir Putin. Trump, long wanting to be Putin's friend, congratulated Putin anyway. Trump's advisors also urged him to condemn Russia's nerve gas attack on Britain, another bit of wisdom the president disregarded. The president avoided talking about election interference with Putin or the invasion of our power grid. In that one call, Trump had virtually canceled out the U.S. government's condemnation of the Russian attack by heaping congratulations on the man who ordered those assassination attempts and so many others. Trump also agreed to another near-future face-to-face meeting with Putin. It was behavior so shocking, Trump's own people made it a point to leak to the Washington Post that their boss had ignored national security warnings. It was a very good call, said Trump, about this week's chat. As a private citizen, Trump had also called Putin five years ago this week to congratulate him for that election victory. Senator John McCain responded to news of this week's call by saying, an American president does not lead by congratulating dictators on winning sham elections. Well, this one does. And it's deeply disturbing and contrary to United States policy and principles. Former CIA Director John Brennan says he now believes Russia may have something on Trump. That's a quote. But in spite of the events around him, Trump has become more emboldened, more self-confident than ever. He's defied the advice of his own economic advisors in imposing huge tariffs on imported metals. He's ignored his own foreign policy experts in forging ahead on talks with Kim Jong-un. He's teased that he might fire Bob Mueller against the advice of his own lawyers. And he's fired advisors who dared to disagree with him. Trump's called NBC's Chuck Todd a son of a bitch and called for the death penalty for drug dealers, both in the image of Philippine dictator Rodrigo Duterte. Trump's also praised the lifelong dictatorship of China's Xi Jinping, saying, we might try that someday. He's called it a witch hunt and fake news and painted it as a Democratic Party conspiracy. But Donald Trump has reportedly told White House aides he's champing at the bit to have a sit-down with Robert Mueller about the campaign, Russia, and the firing of FBI Director James Comey. As always, Trump has complete confidence in himself and his ability to field investigators' questions. Trump's lawyers, however, are less confident, aware of his tendency to emphatically say things that are simply not true. So Trump's lawyers are trying to head off trouble— Now that they've seen the kinds of questions the Mueller team plans to ask, they've presented a series of documents they've drawn up themselves. The documents supposedly address Mueller's questions about what the president said and did surrounding the firings of both National Security Advisor Mike Flynn and the FBI's James Comey, along with that Trump Tower meeting in June of 2016 and the president's statement about it from Air Force One. Instead of turning over specific documents, Trump's lawyers have written summaries outlining their interpretations of how those events went down. Trump's lawyers are hoping these homemade documents will satisfy Mueller's curiosity about the firings and therefore help Trump avoid having to answer at least some of Mueller's questions. With these summaries, they're hoping the Mueller team won't even ask certain questions. There isn't likely a prosecutor in America who would accept that arrangement, and those who know his work say you can put Bob Mueller at the top of that no list. And as the Mueller investigation closes in on Trump himself, the president's hired two new lawyers, or tried to, to help him attack the credibility of the Russia investigation and the people conducting it. Trump's growing team of attorneys now includes high-profile conservative Theodore Olson, reportedly. The second new hire is Joseph DeGeneva, a former federal prosecutor who spent time on Fox News arguing that Trump is the target of a deep state conspiracy. 
DeGeneva has not offered any evidence to support that claim. But he's now on Team Trump supporting the president's claims of a witch hunt. Ironically, perhaps, DeGeneva said during Bill Clinton's impeachment that he believes a sitting president can be indicted on criminal charges while in office. It would, he said back then, teach the valuable civics lesson that no one is above the law. Neither Olson nor DeGeneva can likely beat Robert Mueller in court, but they are both high-profile attorneys who can help Trump chip away at the credibility of Mueller's work. Trump lawyer Michael Cohen, meanwhile, has filed suit against porn star Stormy Daniels, accusing her of violating her non-disclosure agreement. The lawsuit's demanding $20 million for alleged breaches of a $130,000 agreement. Trump and his lawyers have chosen offense as their defense. We have met the enemy and liked him on Facebook. We now know that a data company that worked for the Trump campaign exploited 50 million Facebook users in the U.S. and then targeted them as individuals for political purposes. Cambridge Analytica is most closely tied to key Trump advisor Steve Bannon, but also to his predecessor in running the campaign, Paul Manafort. We now know the company harvested the likes of individuals on Facebook to build psychological profiles. Those profiles included sexuality, childhood trauma, and more to categorize the individuals to surmise how they were likely to vote. Then, posts and ads were targeted directly at those individuals, appealing to their strengths and weaknesses. Facebook says this was not a data breach, but that it was a breach of its rules, in that Data Analytica had shared these profiles with a third party without authorization, namely the Trump campaign and other Republicans. Facebook also failed to warn or even inform its users about that exploitation. It appears Cambridge Analytica has also worked for Russia and for the National Rifle Association, as well as for the Trump campaign. The bill for their work on Trump's campaign, $6 million, was paid by the wealthy Mercer family, which also backed Breitbart and other ventures by Steve Bannon. CA had backed Ted Cruz early in 2016, but switched its allegiance to Trump when the reality star took the lead in the Republican primaries. State of Massachusetts has launched an investigation through its attorney general's office as officials in Britain, where Cambridge Analytica is based, also investigate. Cambridge Analytica's work has already been investigated by undercover reporters for England's Channel 4. That undercover work includes secretly recorded videos in which CA executives, including the CEO, brag about the company's past work in more than 200 countries, discrediting political candidates, sometimes compromising them through sex workers from Ukraine, sometimes through bribes or blackmail, in addition to the company's mischief on social media. Channel 4's sting operation also caught that CEO bragging that he had met many times with Donald Trump and that his company was behind all of Trump's campaign research and advertising. Cambridge CEO Alexander Nix also bragged that his firm was responsible for getting Trump elected, despite losing the popular vote thanks to his carefully researched targeting. Nix says it was his firm that came up with the phrases crooked Hillary, drain the swamp, and lock her up. In this country, even today, social media advertising is not regulated as political ads are with radio, television, and newspapers, and Cambridge Analytica exploited that loophole and more. Social media remains the Wild West. The posse may have finally arrived, as investigators in both the U.S. and Britain are now demanding to hear from the social media CEOs, especially Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. U.S. Senator Mark Warner wrote, It's time for Mr. Zuckerberg and the other CEOs to testify before Congress. The American people deserve answers about social media manipulation in the 2016 election. After five days, Zuckerberg finally broke the silence as his company's stock value took a pounding on Wall Street from all this bad publicity. Facebook stock lost nearly $50 billion when the news broke, sending ripples through much of the investment community. Facebook is also being sued by its investors for $50 million. Facebook's loss of the public trust is even greater. It's being sued by its users in a class action suit in federal court. Yesterday, Zuckerberg admitted mistakes by his company and said he's been working to understand what happened and how to make sure it doesn't happen again. We have a responsibility to protect your data, he said, adding, and if we can't, then we don't deserve to serve you. And Zuckerberg said he is willing to testify for Congress and that he's open to the idea of government regulation.
Meanwhile, Congressman Adam Schiff wants to bring back Cambridge CEO Alexander Nix, who was caught on that Channel 4 video offering powerful political dirty tricks for a price. But in the House, Chairman Devin Nunes has closed the Intelligence Committee investigation. Former Republican Mike Conway said, quote, I have no intention of bringing in any other witnesses for the Russia investigation. The Federal Trade Commission is now investigating Facebook and its relationship to the data mining company. Vice News reports that at least a dozen Cambridge Analytica employees were embedded in the Trump campaign, along with workers from Facebook, Twitter, Google, and Microsoft. Facebook this past week suspended Cambridge Analytica and ordered the company to delete the data it's collected. CA says it has destroyed that data, but there's evidence it has not. CA has now suspended its CEO and claims to be conducting its own investigation. Mr. Nix has been nixed. The chief information security officer at Facebook, meanwhile, has resigned in what he says was a dispute with other Facebook executives over that company's transparency. Even though it was Donald Trump who promoted Andrew McCabe to deputy director of the FBI, it was also Trump who worked in the months following to discredit McCabe and his part in the Russia probe. McCabe laid low as that investigation continued, announcing his pending retirement and taking vacation weeks another time he had coming. And when McCabe saw a case building to destroy his reputation, he found himself fighting to defend himself against some shaky accusations. An inspector general at the Trump Sessions Justice Department had concluded that McCabe hadn't told the whole truth under oath while also leaking to the media. McCabe insists he was forthcoming under oath and that he was authorized to release the information he'd released. But it wasn't enough to save a man Trump wanted fired for months. Instead of firing McCabe months ago, the man learned just minutes before we did when Jeff Sessions announced McCabe's firing on a Friday night at nearly 10 p.m. Eastern Time. That was about 26 hours before McCabe would turn 50 years old and begin his retirement. Being fired 26 hours before retirement would deny McCabe all or most of the pension that he had earned by 22 years of chasing bad guys on behalf of the United States. With legal challenges, McCabe may still be able to win back at least some of that pension, if not all of it. And after months of staying silent, McCabe had plenty to say once he was a free man. He said he was fired for the same reason James Comey was fired, to intimidate, impede, or curtail the Russia investigation. Quoting McCabe, This attack on my credibility is one part of a larger effort, not just to slander me personally, but to taint the FBI, law enforcement, and intelligence professionals. McCabe continued, it is part of this administration's ongoing war on the FBI and the efforts of the special counsel investigation, which continue to this day. Their persistence in this campaign, he says, will only highlight the importance of the special counsel's work. McCabe had contradicted White House accounts of James Comey's firing. The firing was a warning from Trump to law enforcement and to those who would speak out against him. But it seemed to make McCabe more determined to tell what he knows, if not in public, then to investigators and in a possible lawsuit. We quickly learned that McCabe, like his old boss James Comey, had kept notes on his conversations with Trump. We were reminded that McCabe can corroborate the claims that Comey's made about Trump's hopes to end the Mike Flynn investigation. We were reminded that McCabe is a witness in the Mueller probe, especially the part about the firing of Comey as part of an obstruction of justice effort. Trump and McCabe had met three times between his own firing and the firing of James Comey. In all three meetings, Trump had brought up Mrs. McCabe's failed campaign as a Democratic candidate for a state Senate seat in Virginia. McCabe himself is registered Republican, but did not vote in the 2016 presidential race in which his party's candidate was Trump. Donald Trump had just created another highly motivated enemy one who'd spent a career chasing bad guys for the FBI. FBI agents saw a colleague lose his pension for speaking out about Trump, and they saw how that colleague was speaking out now. Quoting a Washington Post source who supports Trump, this is an open, all-out war, and guess what? The FBI is going to win, adding, they're going to torch him. There is, by the way, no reason McCabe cannot land another federal job, even if it's just for a week, to earn the rest of his pension. 
He's had at least one job offer already from a Massachusetts congressman, but even one day as a typist would qualify him to get that pension. Between eight minutes past midnight Saturday morning and 1 p.m. Monday, Trump fired off nine successive tweets about McCabe and the Russia probe, veering only once for a St. Patrick's Day graphic. And then two more tweets about the investigation yesterday morning. With the U.S. under attack by Russia and facing talks with North Korea's Kim Jong-un, Trump was focused on the Russia investigation and throwing shade on McCabe, Comey, Democrats, Hillary Clinton, the Steele dossier, anonymous sources, and the Mueller probe. He called McCabe's memos fake since he says he didn't see McCabe taking notes during the meeting. FBI agents often don't take notes during meetings, instead writing it all down immediately after the meeting, hence their description as contemporaneous notes. It's as if Trump was trying to discredit McCabe as a witness in the Russia probe. And in that barrage of tweets, Trump criticized the Mueller investigation by name for the first time. In one, he wrote, Why does the Mueller team have 13 hardened Democrats, some big crooked Hillary supporters, and zero Republicans? Does anyone think this is fair? And yet there is, all caps, no collusion. Trump failed to mention that the man leading the investigation, Robert Mueller, is a Republican, repeatedly hired by Republicans, first by George W. Bush to run the FBI, and then by current Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, a Republican, to be the special counsel investigating Russian interference in the U.S. presidential election. At least four investigators on Mueller's team are also Republicans. In the midst of Trump's Twitter tantrum, we heard from his attorney, John Dowd, who called for an end to the Mueller investigation, calling on Rosenstein to show the courage Jeff Sessions had shown in firing Andrew McCabe. By midday Sunday, concern was again at fever pitch that Trump was about to get special counsel Robert Mueller fired. And although most Republicans stayed silent, a few spoke up, including Lindsey Graham, Jeff Flake, and Trey Gowdy. Graham repeated his warning that firing Mueller would be the beginning of the end of Trump's presidency and added later that to fire Mueller would be an impeachable offense. A Republican had uttered the word impeachment for the first time. Gowdy addressed Trump's lawyer, saying, If you have an innocent client, Mr. Dowd, act like it. Even House Speaker Paul Ryan has warned Trump against firing Mueller, however meekly. What Republicans didn't do was support proposed legislation to protect Mueller from being fired. Sunday night, lawyer Dowd assured the public there are no plans to fire Mueller. Many Trump watchers were not convinced. And the question remains, if he's innocent, why would Trump fire the one man who could clear his name? And this would all appear to be happening because the Mueller investigation is closing in on Trump himself. Mueller has now crossed a red line laid down by Trump months ago not to look into his finances and business dealings. Such information could be key to what Russia may have on Trump based on an investigation into possible money laundering. We've learned in this past week that Mueller had weeks before this subpoenaed Trump's company for documents including some related to Russia. The Trump Organization continued to try to build a Trump Tower in Moscow throughout the presidential campaign. It isn't publicly known why Mueller has subpoenaed the Trump Organization as opposed to simply requesting the documents as he's done in the past. The revelation of this subpoena also means the Mueller investigation is not nearly at its end, despite assurances to Trump by his lawyers that it would all be over by now. These are perhaps the reasons for Trump's flurry of nine tweets fighting the Russia probe and making himself appear guilty in the process. Mueller is also looking carefully at Jeff Sessions now and the Attorney General's assertion he was strongly opposed to contact between the Trump campaign and Russia and that Sessions pushed back against that plan. At least three sources to Reuters say they've told the Mueller team that Mueller spoke no objection to the plans of campaign advisor George Papadopoulos to set up meetings between Russia and the campaign, perhaps even with Trump himself. And it was Sessions, who supposedly recused from all things relating to the election, who carried out Trump's wishes to fire FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe. 
And Mueller has now also granted his first immunity to convicted child pornographer George Nader in exchange for what is apparently Nader's complete cooperation in telling what he knows about how two Arab monarchs went about pressuring the Trump administration to do three things. To crack down on Iran, to crack down on Qatar, an important U.S. strategic ally, and to fire Rex Tillerson. Trump has now done all three of those things. The Mueller investigation has expanded to include not just the campaign, but Trump's business dealings before the campaign and his foreign policy since taking the oath of that high office. As for James Comey, he's written a memoir that became the nation's number one bestseller a month before it's released. A higher loyalty is due out April 17th. It was Amazon's top seller based on pre-orders. Does what happens in Trump world stay in Trump world? Putin turns up the evil. The president makes up stuff. Plus, Bob Seska after this. Just a quick reminder here to do your online shopping by using and bookmarking the Amazon link at buzzburbank.com. This production gets a little commission from Amazon when you do, so it's very important that you shop through that link for home, school, church, or office. Now, if you'd prefer not to use Amazon for any reason, please support this free newscast through the PayPal donate button just beneath the Amazon button at buzzburbank.com. It was at about this time of year, two years ago, that Washington Post reporters got a face-to-face with a presidential candidate whose chances seemed slim. But we already did know Donald Trump for demanding loyalty and for his employees' non-disclosure agreements. Trump was asked if he would make White House employees sign such agreements. I think they should, said Trump, and indeed, they have. Shortly after Trump took office, the White House was leaking like a sieve and Trump was furious about it. And that's when he demanded those confidentiality agreements and sent then-Chief of Staff Reince Priebus and White House Counsel Don McGahn to put pressure on any staffers reluctant to sign. The Post reports that Priebus and McGahn did as they were told, knowing that in government and by law, the agreements likely would never hold up in court. The paper also reports that most staffers took the agreement seriously, fearing legal repercussions if they crossed the billionaire president not just during their time in the White House, but afterward and forever, according to those familiar with the signed agreements. The White House staff is employed by voters and taxpayers, not by Trump. Their duty is to the institution, not to the man or some agreement, according to a D.C. lawyer who has defended both government whistleblowers and who has experience with nondisclosure agreements. Another woman who claims to have had an extramarital affair with Donald Trump is now suing to get out of her confidentiality contract. Former Playboy model Karen McDougal now wants to speak freely about her nine- or ten-month relationship with Trump. She, too, signed an agreement ahead of the 2016 election to remain silent when what she thought she was doing was selling her story to the National Enquirer. Owned by a friend and supporter of Trump's, the Enquirer, bought the exclusive rights to McDougal's story for the sole purpose of killing that story, keeping it under wraps to help out a friend. That exclusive deal is what kept McDougal from telling what she knows. And as with the Stormy Daniels payment, the source of the money appears to be a violation of campaign finance laws since this tangible contribution to Trump's political success was never reported to election officials. As for Ms. Daniels, she is also on the offensive now against Trump. This week, through her lawyer, she released a photo of herself undergoing a lie detector test administered six years ago about her claims of an affair with Trump. She passed that test. And an interview with Ms. Daniels is expected to be featured this Sunday on CBS's 60 Minutes, despite that $20 million lawsuit to keep her quiet. Also, a former Apprentice contestant who says Trump sexually assaulted her will get to see her defamation case move forward. Karen McDougal says Trump's denial of the assault included attacks on her character, and she wants justice. A judge has ruled against a motion by Trump's lawyers to dismiss the case. The judge said no, and now Trump may have to give a sworn deposition in the case while he's a sitting president. Trump is also being sued by another former Apprentice contestant, Summer Zervos, 
whom Trump called a liar after she claimed he had assaulted her sexually as well. It was a week ago today that it finally happened. The Trump administration had finally taken its first steps to punish Russia for cyber attacks. The government had presented evidence that Russian hackers have invaded the computers that operate the controls of U.S. nuclear power plants, including the ability to shut them down. The Russians had also targeted water systems and air traffic control, even certain crucial industries. There's evidence they'd already shut off the lights for a quarter million Ukrainians in 2015 and 2016. The Russian hackers have not yet done any harm in this country, but it appears they could. Quoting a technology security executive at Symantec, all that's missing is some political motivation. The hacking apparently began at about the same time as Russia's hacking of the U.S. political system and its campaign of social media trolling. The pace picked up three months after Trump took office. In that period, Trump refused to call out Russia for its cyber attacks and took no action to stop them. It was on the day of these revelations that Trump finally acquiesced after the nerve gas attack in Britain. It certainly looks like Russians were behind it, and we are taking it very seriously, said Trump. And it was on that day that the U.S. government announced new sanctions on 19 Russian individuals and five Russian entities for their cyber attacks on the election process. The sanctions accuse Russia of destabilizing activities and call the effort reckless and irresponsible. That same day, U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley told the Security Council that the attack came straight from Moscow. The U.S. government, for the first time, was hitting Russia back, however mildly. And it joined Britain, France, and Germany in condemning Russia's brazen assassinations and assassination attempts. Former double agent Sergei Skripal and his adult daughter are both still in critical condition and not expected to survive after being found unconscious on a park bench in Salisbury, England. In response, Britain expelled nearly two dozen Russian diplomats after calling out the Russian nerve gas attack and the U.S. had finally spoken up for its closest ally. But then Trump virtually canceled out the U.S. condemnation of the nerve gas attack by putting in that congratulatory phone call Tuesday to Vladimir Putin on an election victory that will keep Putin in power through the year 2024. Trump's government has condemned Russia's brutal mischief, but Trump himself has not. Trump has, in fact, done the opposite of that. Trump has heaped far more criticism on Robert Mueller in the past week than he has on the Russian dictator. And McCain aside, Republicans have mostly brushed off the president's behavior. I wouldn't read too much into it, said Texas's Bob Corker. The president can call whomever he chooses, said Kentucky's Mitch McConnell. The response of this president and the majority of this Republican Congress for what Russia has done and is doing is deeply disturbing and blatantly unfaithful to the United States of America. No sooner had last week's report been published that we learned Trump had lied to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in a recent conversation about trade. Someone had recorded Trump's remarks at a fundraiser the night before, revealing that in talks with the leader of an allied country, Trump had just made up stuff. That fundraiser, by the way, raised over $32 million for the Republican congressional candidates this year. Trudeau came to see me, said Trump. He's a good guy, Justin. He said, no, no, we have no trade deficit with you. We have none. Donald, please. And Trump continued, nice guy, good-looking guy, comes in, Donald, we have no trade deficit. He's very proud because everybody else, you know, we're getting killed. I said, wrong, Justin, you do. I didn't even know. I had no idea. I just said, you're wrong, Justin. He said, nope, we have no trade deficit. Trump went on to admit that he had shot from the hip first and asked questions later. I sent out one of our guys, he said, check, because I can't believe it. He says the aide returned saying, well, sir, you're actually right. We have no deficit, but that doesn't include energy and timber. In truth, according to the Office of U.S. Trade, this country has a trade surplus with Canada, selling tens of billions of dollars more to Canadians than they sell to us. Trump continues to threaten countries over trade agreements after Europe promised to retaliate for Trump's new metals tariffs, Trump threatened to hit back with tariffs on European cars. He's threatened to pull U.S. troops out of South Korea if it doesn't agree to new trade agreements. Quoting Trump, our allies care about themselves. They don't care about us. 
Trump's lie to Trudeau joins a list of more than 2,000 falsehoods he's uttered since he swore the oath of office. Trudeau, of course, knows the truth and knew it going into that meeting with Trump. Time will tell if Trump tries the same tactics when he sits down with North Korea's Kim Jong-un. Salon.com's Bob Seska wants you to know you are not going crazy. Bob? Thanks, Buzz. Apparently Donald Trump thinks he's finally potty trained enough to earn himself a pair of big boy pants. Reports from inside the White House this week suggest that Trump feels as though he's learned enough about being president to call his own shots without the aid of his advisors. Consequently, we can expect the madness to escalate as the pounds per square inch of pressure continue to rise. Frankly, I so badly wish we were out of existential danger so I could really savor this. I wish I could sit back and enjoy the spectacle. And now that I'm living in the D.C. Metroplex again, I have front row seats for Trump's slow descent into historical ignominy. But knowing that he's so profoundly untethered from semi-passable advice, he's more dangerous than ever, apparently believing that anything goes as long as the seed of his cockamamie ideas emerge from Fox News Channel, where they'll be fed like catnip to our mad king. Admittedly, I've known this was coming for a while now. Trump, like most regular Fox News viewers, has been badly brainwashed into possessing unwavering certainty that anything emerging from the network has to be true. And everything else is, of course, fake news. It was only a matter of time before he began to govern as the Fox News president, but now, with Trump Organization records having been subpoenaed by the Office of the Special Counsel, and with bombshell revelations emerging from various porn stars, not to mention the UK surrounding both the Cambridge Analytica News and Vladimir Putin's obvious assassinations of dissidents, we can expect the decibel level of Trump's Fox News-fueled psychosis to grow louder and louder as the D.C. snow gives way to spring. Here are a few things we can expect. One, more authoritarianism. Two, more private-turned-public displays of affection to Putin, as well as despots like Rodrigo Duterte. And three, more potentially fatal blunders in dealing with Robert Mueller. Actually, there will surely be more blunders all around, because that's what Trump does. He Fs himself raw. He thinks he's being a strong and divisive leader, but he's really just digging his political grave deeper and deeper. Nevertheless, we can expect more ass-kissing of Putin along the lines of his congratulatory phone call following the quote-unquote sham election, those are John McCain's words, in which Putin basically ran unopposed after having arrested or physically intimidated the rest of the ballot. The fact that an American president congratulated Putin on another political victory isn't really anything new. Barack Obama congratulated Putin in 2012, but consider the context. Obama's call took place long before the 2014 Sochi Olympics, before the invasion of Ukraine, before the annexation of Crimea, before Putin granted asylum to Edward Snowden, before Putin assassinated more dissidents and political opponents, and long before Putin launched the most pernicious series of cyber attacks on Western democracies in the history of the world. Trump, however defied the screaming all-caps warning from his national security team. Do not congratulate, they wrote in his briefing papers, personally phoning Putin this week anyway, while also refusing to mention a goddamn thing about any of the above, including the 13 sanctioned troll farmers or the near assassination of Sergei Skripal on UK soil. Instead, Trump wants his disciples to believe what he did was actually schmoozing, He said on Twitter on Wednesday, I called President Putin of Russia to congratulate him on his election victory. In past, Obama called him also, and we know about that one. The fake news media is crazed because they wanted me to excoriate him. They are wrong. Getting along with Russia and others is a good thing, not a bad thing. They can help solve problems with North Korea, Syria, Ukraine, ISIS, Iran, and even the coming arms race. Bush tried to get along, but didn't have the smarts. Obama and Clinton tried, but didn't have the energy or chemistry. Remember, reset. Peace through strength, in all caps. It's important to mention this again. You are not insane. The president, however, wants you to think you are. Okay, sure, Trump tweeted an explanation for the call the next day. It shouldn't matter, though. If this was all about diplomacy, why hasn't the White House published any readouts of these calls with his former KGB puppeteer? If this was about improving relations, you'd think Trump would want to brag about it, like always. Instead, we always end up getting the word from Russian state news, much to the chagrin of the White House. 
Secrecy is one thing if it's across the board, but the White House only hides Trump's contacts with Putin. I assure you, it's 100% because Trump's guilty of everything, full stop. You are not insane. In other words, he's absolutely lying here. If he was so interested in getting along with foreign leaders, why has he deliberately antagonized the prime ministers of Canada, Germany, and Australia? He's also pissed off the leaders of Mexico and France, as well as every African, Central American, and South American shithole nation. That'd be a total of three whole continents in that list, by the way. Yet Putin gets multiple salad tossings from this monstrous ghoul in the White House, and we can expect a lot more where this came from. As Trump feels more emboldened by the office, and as Trump grows increasingly maniacal due to pressure from Mueller's team of untouchables, there's no telling what he might do. But one thing's for sure, it wouldn't be all that shocking to learn that Trump has blabbed national security secrets to Putin, spilling the beans about an operative in Israel to Russia's foreign minister and Russia's former U.S. ambassador. And he did it inside the Oval Office. And that was before we even had a special counsel. Imagine the secrets he'll give away now. If he hasn't already, Trump is on track to give away the entire store to Putin. We have no reason to believe that he won't. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. Get more of him at Salon.com and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Join me with him there every Tuesday. One of the reasons for New York City's rent control laws is that in some of the country's highest rent districts, it's harder for landlords to push out their rent control eligible tenants to rent their space for greater profit. Harder, but not impossible, as proven by Jared Kushner's real estate company. The Associated Press reports that the Kushner companies lied on building permits, declaring its buildings house no rent control tenants. That wasn't true. And Kushner buildings were sold for profits of nearly 50%. AP says the company run by Trump's son-in-law turned around buildings quickly because it routinely filed false paperwork. And hundreds of people were evicted from their rent-controlled apartments that would never be rent-controlled again, while the Kushner companies reported to New York City officials they had zero rent control tenants. And Kushner Companies now stands accused of more than 80 crimes on more than a dozen of Kushner's family-owned properties. And it's all being investigated now by New York City's Department of Buildings. The Kushner Companies blame an outside contractor for the false reports. Kushner no longer oversees the company's day-to-day operations, but still owns part of a subsidiary the one that oversees residential properties, the one that last year earned him over $1.5 million. If you can get to Washington, D.C. this weekend, good luck finding a parking spot. Sunday opens the city's annual Cherry Blossom Festival. Saturday, hundreds of thousands of people from around the country will gather around the Capitol for a march against gun violence, especially in schools. Students from Florida's Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High in Parkland will be there. Likely, so will students from Great Mills High in Southern Maryland. After taking part in the national school walkout a week ago, those Maryland students very quickly got their own taste of gun violence. A 17-year-old boy in an apparent dispute with a 16-year-old girl shot the girl and a 14-year-old male student before coming face-to-face with the school resource officer who ordered the shooter to drop his gun. The cop and the shooter fired simultaneously. The officer was not wounded, The student with the gun was killed. The wounded girl is in critical care. The officer has been declared a hero. It was a reminder to those traveling to D.C. this weekend of what the protest is all about. A new Gallup poll, by the way, shows that nearly three out of four teachers in this country are opposed to the arming of teachers as Trump and the NRA and Republicans have proposed. 73% against, 71% say it wouldn't work, and 58% say armed teachers would actually make schools more dangerous. 22% say it would be a wash. Teachers favor better active shooter training for first responders, and they favor better background checks on gun buyers. To that end, in a bipartisan deal yesterday, lawmakers in Washington were able to agree on a spending bill that not only keeps the government open— It includes a beefing up of the nation's background check system and, for the first time, provides money for research into gun violence as a public health problem. It does not include closing the gun show loophole that's allowed a third of all guns sold 
to be sold without background checks. Again, nothing in that bill for dreamers hoping to avoid deportation. The White House has reportedly agreed the president will sign that bill. This week, the state of Mississippi enacted the nation's toughest ever anti-abortion law. It was only on the books for a few hours before a federal judge put a temporary block on enforcing that new law on the grounds it's probably unconstitutional. The Mississippi law would ban abortions after 15 weeks, even in cases of rape and incest. Doctors who ignored the law would face losing their licenses and paying a fine. Mississippi's all-Republican government says it will appeal the judge's ruling, but for now, the toughest anti-abortion law in the country isn't. Your credit card, your allergies, your bottled water, your whiskey, and your weed in the third and final segment. Up next. I'd have a lot of nickels if I had one for every time I've awakened on a pillow so sweaty I had to throw it in the dryer before I could make the bed. Or the restless nights I spent flipping and reshaping to try to get cool and dry. Now I wake up as cool as the other side of the pillow because now I sleep on a hollow pillow. The hollow pillow stays cool while giving my head, neck, and shoulders perfect support all night long, night after night. A lot of us have spent good money on good mattresses but still haven't found the right pillow. Fiber fills are hot and humid, they collapse under your weight, and they don't give you the full night support you need for good posture and good sleep. And you have to keep replacing them. A memory foam pillow gives support, but maybe not quite the shape that's right for you. It doesn't breathe, so it gets hot, and it gives off chemical gases you probably shouldn't spend a third of your life inhaling. Hullo pillows are filled with natural buckwheat hulls that are eco-friendly, don't give off gases, and don't collapse. The buckwheat's grown and milled by American farmers before the hulls go into Hullo's pre-shrunken, certified organic, unbleached cotton twill casing. All of it right here in the U.S. Hullo pillows breathe and stay cool and, most importantly, conform perfectly to your head, neck, and shoulders for a truly restful night's sleep. And you can adjust the fullness of the Hullo pillow by removing or adding more hulls to the zipper that's covered for comfort. I am so happy with mine, I'm proud to give it my personal endorsement and proud that a percentage of the profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. Hello pillows are available in three sizes, small, standard, and king. And right now, depending on the size, you can save up to 20 bucks on each additional pillow with fast, free shipping. But you can only get that deal by going to hullopillow.com slash bbnc. That's hullopillow.com slash bbnc. Say hello to a healthy and restful night's sleep and wake up as cool as the other side of the pillow. Thank you for supporting this brilliant company and this show at hollowpillow.com slash bbnc. It was more than just a little unsettling to hear the news out of Tempe, Arizona this week that a self-driving Volvo for Uber had struck and killed a pedestrian. It's only the second time a person has died from an accident involving a self-driving car. In the first, in Florida, the car was found not to be at fault. The one in Tempe is still being investigated. Tempe is one of several American cities where Uber had been testing the self-driving technology. There was a human behind the wheel, but there were no passengers in Tempe. The car, which was doing about 40 in a 45 zone, does not appear to have slowed when a 49-year-old woman stepped into the roadway with her bicycle to walk it across the street. She wasn't using a crosswalk, and there's some question as to whether man or machine could have stopped in time. Pedestrian deaths from people-driven cars have increased in recent years, especially as more people walk and text at the same time. The weather was clear in Tempe. The Uber driver was sober. Both Uber and Toyota have now suspended their real-world tests of self-driving cars, as this investigation continues, Apple still has 45 self-driving cars on the roads of California. Bad news about your allergies. They're going to get worse. A new study projects that pollen counts will likely double over the next 20 years or so. Experts say climate change is making it worse. More pollen and in more times of the year. More than 50 million Americans have allergies. Kids have the most allergies, but a person can discover new ones at any age. Doctors say they are seeing more patients and new patients and more severe symptoms for what is now a much longer allergy season. Among the goals of the Paris Climate Accord, keeping ourselves from 
pushing up the planet's temperature by another one and a half degrees over the next 82 years. More than one and a half degrees would be catastrophic. Even a third of that would be very, very bad. A new study says that if we, as expected, raise the planet's temp by just a half degree, five million people will lose their homes. Sea levels would rise, wiping out coastal towns around the world. Whole islands would vanish underwater. Scientists agree even if we can stop warming the planet over the next few decades, seas will continue to rise well into the next century. Water, water everywhere. And not a drop to drink. While some earthlings would have too much water, even more people would do without. A United Nations report projects that more than 5 billion people could suffer water shortages within the next 30 years or so. The report calls for defending the world's rivers, lakes, and wetlands. 70% of the water humans use goes to growing food. 20% goes to industry. The remaining 10% is what we use at home. The UN report says the lack of water is the greatest threat from climate change. And then there's the water we buy in bottles. The World Health Organization says it's tested nearly a dozen brands of bottled water in 19 locations and found bits of plastic. Not just little plastic fibers, but solid pieces of polypropylene from the caps. The WHO also studied those reusable plastic microwave-safe containers we use for reheating food. They found that over time... Those containers begin to break down chemically, leaching toxic chemicals into our food, including heavy metals and fire retardants. Investigative journalists first uncovered these facts, and so the UN's World Health Organization is now investigating plastics. The news of the past year is enough to drive you to drink something stronger. But I can see you've beaten me to it. A new report from the Centers for Disease Control says America's on a bender, a troubling 17% of us report we've been binge drinking. Binge drinking is defined as five or more drinks in two hours for men, four for women. But four out of five binge drinkers are men. Binge drinkers usually only drink once a week, but have seven of them inside of a two-hour period. Alcohol kills about one in ten adults. That's 88,000 Americans a year, and more than half of them were binge drinkers. Some die from alcohol poisoning. Some hurt themselves or kill themselves or have heart attacks or strokes or liver cirrhosis or cancer. Whites have the highest binge drinking rate, especially if they're low income. The worst binge drinking states are Mississippi, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Hawaii. The least binge drinking is reported in the states of Washington, New York, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C., and a troubling 15% of Americans still smoke cigarettes, despite the warnings and the scary ads. But now, an administration that takes pride in stripping regulations is imposing a new one on the cigarette makers. The FDA says it's forcing the industry to lower the nicotine levels to a point that makes them much less chemically addictive. The Food and Drug Administration does not have the authority to ban the cigarettes themselves, but it is allowed to limit their sales and marketing and an addictive chemical is part of that marketing formula. For years, cigarette makers increased their nicotine levels to intensify their customers' addictions. There were reports they jacked the nicotine right after 9-11, cashing in on the nation's anxiety, especially that of New Yorkers. The FDA is now reversing that, and the tobacco industry has reportedly been preparing to produce only low-nicotine products. The FDA says it will also test the safety of patches and gum. It's dealing with the e-cigarette phenomenon separately, but it's also addressing the long controversy over mentholated cigarettes and other flavored tobacco. If menthols were not available, many people wouldn't smoke because they hate the taste of unflavored cigarettes. Fruit-flavored smokes have proven popular among teenagers as a way to introduce them to smoking and its addictive properties. There may be more smoking of the green in Chicago soon. Illinois voters have voted in favor of legalizing marijuana for recreational use. Yes, one with 63% of the vote. Illinois, which desperately needs the tax dollars, would join Colorado and Washington State in legalizing recreational pot. 
and it happens in the midst of a Trump administration crackdown on marijuana, even in states where it's legal. David Bowie sang of astronauts and changes, but not both in the same song. And being an astronaut can change you, right down to your DNA. Astronaut Scott Kelly's DNA changed by 7% after he spent nearly a year in weightlessness aboard the International Space Station. He left with DNA identical to his identical twin brother, retired astronaut Mark Kelly. NASA will continue to study Scott to see how much of that DNA does or does not return to normal after some time back on Earth. The Travel Reservations website Orbits has accidentally exposed the credit card information of nearly a million people, 880,000 to be accurate. The card numbers, names, birth dates, phone numbers, email addresses, and more. The company says it does not know if any person or program might have captured the exposed data, but Orbit says it saw evidence earlier this month that an attacker may have accessed that personal information. You can count on a Black Panther's toes the number of weeks Black Panther has been at the top of the box office, raking in another $27 million in the U.S. and Canada. Its soundtrack also remains number one on the Billboard album chart. Tomb Raider was our second most popular movie this time, with nearly $24 million in ticket sales. I can only imagine... The story of a Christian rock band was third with 17 million on half as many screens as Tomb Raider. For previews of all the movies out there, along with theater, showtimes, and tickets, please venture through my Fandango link at buzzburbank.com. I'm not a religious man, but deeply spiritual on my own terms, and it's in that context that I recommend Jesus Christ Superstar to those unfamiliar with it. The 1970 rock opera is among the most powerful pieces of music ever written, in my opinion, and it's in the capable hands of John Legend, Alice Cooper, and others Sunday night in a live presentation on NBC. Believers and non-believers alike should watch or make it a point to listen to the original soundtrack. Here's hoping the producers of Sunday Night Show don't screw it up. And from the home office, another wild monkey sighting in Florida. It may be an escapee from a primate lab, and quoting a local official, the monkey is still on the loose. This time, the Florida monkey sighting was in Miami Beach, just outside the King of Diamonds strip club. And finally, police in England's Thames River Valley seized a car this week when it found the driver had no insurance and no valid driver's license. The license he offered up wasn't valid. For one thing, the address was wrong. It said 742 Springfield Way. Well, almost everyone knows the correct address is 742 Evergreen Terrace, if you're looking for Homer Simpson. The photo was also wrong. It didn't look anything like the driver. It looked like Homer Simpson. But the caption below Homer's picture likely summed up the driver's reaction to losing his car. It read, Dope. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and for supporting my sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.